Turn with me in your Bibles. We finish up Matthew 8 this morning. Now, I know I had a Bible here. It's behind me, that's why. Here it is. I knew it was here. We're going to look at Matthew 8. I think we start in verse 23. going to say you really have her bamboozled i mean uh she really likes you no you know i'm teasing all right matthew 8 23 let's stand for the reading of god's holy authoritative word to us this morning You're not going to find it in the morning news. You're not going to find it um, other places, billboards, but you're going to find it here. Let's hear it and heed it. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one would ca- could pass this way, that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Ascends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May bless it to our hearts and lives. This morning you may be seated. Now my wife will tell you, I am the worst person to watch biblical movies with. You do not want to watch The Passion of the Christ with me. You don't want to watch, what is it, The Prince of Egypt. Because, you know, I ruin all the fun for my wife. Because I'm talking to the screen. I'm always like, that's not how it happened. And then she's like, be quiet, be quiet. Two minutes later, that ain't true. She's like, stop. But it just bugs me that they can't stick to the story. The story's exciting enough. Why you got to change it? Just say it. So I'm the killjoy. But I'll tell you one thing I do like about such movies. What I do like about it is I find that I have friends and relatives that will ask me, will ask Mare, they'll say, hey, I, I got to see the Passion of the Christ. And that one scene, did that really happen? So then it gets us talking about biblical things. 
And I, I totally appreciate that people begin to get stirred up and they start to want to know what the Bible really does teach. So that's a good thing. But what what I would hope and and I pray for, I pray that people would come to the Gospels where we have God's inspired word, where we have exactly how it happened. The Holy Spirit guided these men to say exactly what God wanted them to say. And they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the cool thing this morning for us is we get to hear it literally right from God's mouth to us through his appointed men who saw it firsthand. So now we get to see Jesus' heavenly touch, as we saw a few weeks ago to the leper. We get to see his mighty works, his compassion. What we're also going to get to see is his mighty power. And I trust that you're going to find that your faith is renewed, it's strengthened, and it's deepened as we continue to work our way through the real deal, Matthew's gospel, the very word of God, which presents for your faith the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we see when we look at Matthew's gospel. And I agree that people say we need to stop, preachers need to stop telling us we need to believe in Jesus. They need to present to us a Jesus that we can believe in. And that's what we will see this morning as we look at God's word, not human opinion and not embellishments. So we're going to see this morning, there's actually three points, but I'm going to save the third point for a whole separate sermon next week. But this is how the text flows together in the stories. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the natural, of the supernatural, and of the souls of men. That's what we're going to find out. Jesus is the Lord of the natural, the supernatural, and the souls of men. So let's take a look at the first thing we're going to see, and that is Jesus is the Lord of the natural world. So in the text... We know the story very well, many of us. It's Jesus calming the storm. Now, perhaps you've heard it applied this way. I know I have again and again. This text shows us that God is able to calm the storms in your life. You ever hear that? Come on, you know it. Maybe you're going through trials in your life. Well, the Lord Jesus can still the storms in your life. And, and I don't want to make fun of that too much. I mean, that's what I would call a secondary application. Certainly, even the song, Be Still My Soul, says, he who calmed the waves is able to calm our hearts. And, and that's certainly true. But here's the problem with that. If you stick only with that, and that's most you get out of this text is, it misses the point in its context. The storm that Matthew mentions here was a real, natural storm. Hello, Sandy, right? Those of us here, we know what it is to live through a real physical storm where the sky gets dark, you know what I mean? Where the waters start rising, where the rain starts pouring and the lightning starts flashing. This was no joke. This was physical danger and it was real and it was concrete. It was immediately, it was immediate, it was serious and it was really sudden. And think about it this way. Most people pick on these poor fishermen. Many of these disciples were fishermen, a number of them. But we have to understand this. To get them to cry out (laughs) in fear, it had to be pretty rough. Because they were seasoned. That's what they did for a living. They, They knew that lake. 
A little story told, one summer night during a severe thunderstorm, I like this story, a mother was tucking her small son into bed, and she was about to turn the light off when he asked in a trembling voice, Mommy, will you stay with me all night? Well, smiling, the mother gave him a warm, reassuring hug and said tenderly, I I can't, dear, I have to stay in Daddy's room. Well, a long silence followed, and at last it was broken by a shaky voice saying, The big sissy. Well, just as that little boy misunderstood his mother's words and wrongly viewed his dad as a sissy, so we miss the point if we simply see Jesus' disciples as panicking like little kids. That's not what's going on here. These men were no sissies. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Here's another thing I want you to see in the text when he rebukes them. He doesn't rebuke them for being afraid of the storm. So then why does he rebuke them? He rebukes them for being afraid of the storm when he was with them. That's the issue. The issue is Jesus is right next to them taking a rest. And they were afraid. And what Jesus rebukes them for is their lack of faith. He basically wakes up and says, as it were, wipes his eyes and says, Guys, seriously? Really? Where's your faith? So what it says in the text, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then it's great to see what Jesus did. He got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now there's two features of this thing that, that Jesus did that make it a miracle, a bona fide miracle. First of all, the natural elements obeyed his mere word. No one else could do that. No one else could just say, stop. And the, I'll tell you, I went bluefish fishing once and all the all i think all the adults but myself were turning green were you turning green too no you were right this is my mayor and i but everybody else yeah i wish i had the authority to just say stop and the boat went but we know normal men and women don't have that kind of authority that's number one but here's the second thing that make it a complete miracle even if we did had the ability to stop it it would take a while for the boat, for everything to get calm. Do you ever go, were you ever in a storm and then it stops and then slowly the ocean gets less choppy? Well, the interesting thing about this is as soon as Jesus said stop, boom, completely calm, still. Now, the thing that really always strikes me in this text, whenever I read it, and any it's recorded as well in some of the other Gospels, is I would always expect, this is what you would expect, once everything gets calm, you think that, that the disciples would have said, oh, thank you so much, Lord. We were really nervous, man. We thought, we thought it was the end. Thank you. Is that how they respond? No. Notice their response. Fear. Their response is actually, what kind of man are we with that even the wind Right? And the waves obey him. Luke's account, it says, it was in fear and amazement that they asked, what kind of man is this? In other words, they're learning that it's not nature that they had to fear, as awesome and fierce as nature can be, but rather they have to fear the one who was Lord over nature. That's what they were learning. 
They needed to focus their fear on where it needs to be focused, and that's upon God alone. Remember the old Scottish saying I mentioned to you before, fear God all you saints, and then you'll have nothing else to fear. If you fear Jesus, you don't have to fear anything else. Nothing can happen to you that he doesn't first allow. A good Jew in Jesus' day would have known that Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, is the controller of the winds and waves. For instance, Psalm 89, 8-9 puts it this way. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Here's the startling thing about this text. They knew that God can stop the sea. Amen? But the crazy thing was that Jesus was identifying himself with Yahweh. Instilling the sea, he was not just saying who he was, he was showing who he was. You know the Lord that you read about in the Psalms? He was sleeping right next to you and you freaked In this text, Jesus displays his power and authority over not just the, the tumult of our hearts, but the tumult of real, scary nature. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of all. The one who can really storm, still the stormy sea is about to confront a very real tumult in a spiritual situation. That's the next thing we see in this text. And that's that Jesus is not only Lord over the natural. And here's where people can get squirrely, but it's true. Jesus is the Lord over the supernatural. Yeah, could you mind grabbing me one? And that's, uh, one commentator says this, The storm on Galilee was but a prelude to what awaited Jesus on the other side in the land of the Gadarenes. Turmoil and turbulence in the souls of men. And that's what we're going to take a look at. Interesting text. Not used to these kind of experiences that the Bible's talking about here. C.S. Lewis and his popular work, The Screwtape Letters. My wife really likes that work of his. He writes this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. And I, I believe C.S. Lewis has his finger on something, and that's this. When you go to certain places in the world, these type of incidences tend to, be, tend to occur more frequently. I personally believe in our culture we don't see as much overt demon possession because then the devil would be showing his hand. He would step a little too far like he did in my own testimony when there was demonic activity. Guess what it ended up making me do? Run to Jesus and believe more in him. And no, in our culture I believe the devil has another tact and that's to make us so sophisticated that we don't believe in the supernatural. But in either case, in this particular case, uh, we see that Jesus was no materialist. He knew that there was a supernatural world that's just as real as the natural world, even though it's undetectable by the human eye. 
There was no question in his mind or even in the mind of his disciples that in the case of these two poor men, demons had taken residence up in their bodies. We know from many other scriptural texts, we don't have time to go through it this morning, that demons are merely angels who fell and who rebelled. They did not keep their place in heaven. They went with Lucifer. And they are called unclean spirits. They're called demons, devils, as it were. And you have to understand, here you have this, these two poor men who were so possessed by these demons, as we're going to see, there were many of them possessing two men, that they, they were naked, and Luke's account tells us, they would cut themselves, they were so violent that no one could walk by these tombs because they'd catch a beating from these two crazy men. But it's interesting, when they meet up with Jesus, they run up to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They come, it's kind of like they're reporting. Oh boy. They come up to the king. And notice what they cry out. Look at verse 29. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now this is really revealing on two fronts. First of all, they recognized who Jesus was right from the get-go. What I think is interesting about this is demons rebuke Pharisees, modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and liberal Presbyterians because demons acknowledge Jesus isn't just a mere man, he's God. They had no question. They didn't say, oh, good teacher, have you come here to teach us something? Did you come here to tell us right from wrong? No, they say, they say, Son of God, have you come to judge us before the appointed time? Torture us is actually what they say. So what else I, I find interesting in this text is that they recognize, hey, whoa, this isn't the time. Aren't you a little early? You remember how the disciples kind of were you know, expecting Jesus to consummate the kingdom right when he came? Well, these demons realized eh, eh, this is not the right time. They might not know the day and the hour, but they knew he was really early. So Jesus' first coming took everybody's surprise, even demons, because we know his first coming, he had to come and bear the sins of many before he came to judge. And even these demons were like, you came to judge us before that time that's appointed. But that shows us something. That shows us that there is a day when God will judge the living and the dead. And that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't originally prepared for people. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve fell, and unfortunately, those who reject the gospel will find themselves in the company of demons on that great day. But Jesus came to deliver us from evil. He came to make his blessings known, as the old hymn puts it, as far as the curse is found. You know, joy of the world, he came to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. And, and in, just, in this case, just before the demons obey him, they make one request, which is interesting. Their request is, send us into these pigs. Now, we could make all kinds of conjecture. Some folks would say, and I'm not saying they're wrong, I just don't know, the text doesn't tell us, maybe demons like to inhabit bodies. Maybe they don't like to be in the spirit realm. Maybe they enjoy bodies. I don't know why they would want to go into pigs. Good question. 
But what's interesting is Jesus grants their request. Look at verse 32. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. What it does show us is this, is that demons leave destruction in their wake. The devil has come to destroy, to kill, to maim. You always wonder if the devil knows he's going to lose, because look, these demons know the Son of God is going to torture them on the appointed time. Why would they keep going? And the only answer, and I believe this is biblical, I don't think this is just conjecture, the only answer is they want to take as many people with them as they can. That's wickedness. That's evil. They know where they're going. And they can't hurt God, so they go after those made in His image. They will try to deceive. They will do whatever they can to take people down with them. And some folks who love animals, and and I, I would say I'm a moderate animal lover in this sense, that I do believe we should treat animals kindly as much as possible. However, I also believe that humans come first. And Jesus shows that humans come first because he allows the demon, he frees the men made in God's image from the demons and then he sends the demons into pigs. And I think we need to remember that as God's people. Yes, animals are part of God's creation, but men and women, they're made in God's image and they have an immortal soul. Now here's an interesting thing. This is where I'm going to get to really preaching. When I first preached this text, I only preached it once before in my life. I thought, because the townspeople come and then they ask Jesus to leave. This is what I thought. I thought, oh, the townspeople are angry because they lost all their, their money because the pigs died. Now I'm thinking like an old Italian farmer, you know, when you have all your sheep or all your pigs, that's your livelihood. And so I thought they were like, well, Jesus ruined my livelihood, so leave. Then, which I didn't do last time, I checked it with Luke's account because actually Matthew doesn't tell you clearly why. That's what I'm saying. It was pure conjecture. Well, Luke does tell you why. So read with me. Luke 8. Or you can listen and check up on me. Luke 8, verses 34 to 37. This is Luke's account. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? What were they afraid of? They were afraid of that this crazy demoniac was normal now and calm and dressed. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. Now look why. Because they were overcome with fear. So we got into the boat and left. Ah, now it makes sense. Think about it. When the disciples have a genuine encounter with the holy, the power of Jesus stilling the sea and the waves, their response was what? Fear. And amazement. You know, we all think, oh, you know, we hear all the good things about Jesus. Oh, I can't wait to meet him. And then you meet him, and guess what happens? You fall on your face. Because we are not holy. We are not righteous. 
We are not infinite. We are finite. And it's no wonder when these townspeople were confronted with the real deal. We just want to be real. We want the real thing. We want the genuine thing. Well, be careful what you ask for. Because the genuine, true God came to this town and did a wonderful miracle. But remember, He's not safe. Like Aslan. He is good. But He's not safe. But this truth bears itself out in everyday experience. Think about it. When these men were demon-possessed, for some reason people weren't shocked by that. Why? Because we see evil every day. When you see an alcoholic, unfortunately it's normal, isn't it? I mean, I'm not saying it's good, but it's normal. We see it. When you see someone addicted to sex, eh, that's what our culture is into. But I'll tell you what, when you see somebody who's dead serious about following Jesus and who's willing to forsake all to follow Him because they met the Holy of Holies. That's just plain weird. It's strange, it's not normal, and it's certainly not comfortable. And this is what I mean. And I've told you this before, but I'm just going to give you a, a, a taste of it. When I first got saved, I was a wild man in terms of my lifestyle. Jesus put me in my right mind. Instead of cursing with my mouth, I was praising with my mouth. Instead of partying, coming home 2, 3, when my mom said I was supposed to be home at 11, I was having Bible study at my house, and my mom would meet my friends who were coming in. You've got to understand, instead of borrowing thousands of dollars and not without any hope of paying her back, I paid her every last penny. And so you would think, my mom would say, ah, this is awesome, praise Jesus. You know what my mom did? She sat me down and said, I want the old Santo back. You know why? Because it freaked her out. It was not normal. She wanted the comfortable. She wanted the normal. Maybe she wanted some things that Jesus could give me, but she didn't want me to all of a sudden just start following him in radical discipleship. That was too much. Now, I just read an interesting, interesting testimony by... Uh, in Christianity Today by Kirsten Powers. She, was, she is currently a Democratic commentator on Fox News. So that's why I really was, my interest was piqued. And I'm only going to quote part of her testimony, just a very short part, just because I want to show you the relevant part for our passage this morning. And let me just say this to get you, involved, get you uh, into the context. She had just, she was a non-believer, she living in New York City, and she was dating an evangelical Christian who began to um, share with her the gospel and encourage her to consider faith. And she had an experience with Jesus. I won't get into that whole part, but she just had a genuine experience of Jesus. And now this is, I'm going to go from there, I'm going to tell you what she said. Listen to this. She said, I called my boyfriend... But before I had time to tell him about it, that is her experience with Christ, he told me he had been praying the night before and felt we were supposed to break up. So she's about to tell him this this experience that happened, and he's saying, I'm sorry, but I can't stay with you. So she says, we did break up. Honestly, while I was upset, I was more traumatized by Jesus visiting me. Isn't that awesome? 
She says, you know, even though that, that must have been a really hard thing, it was meeting Jesus that shook her. And then she says this, I tried to write off the experience as misfiring synapses, but I couldn't shake it. When I returned to New York a few days later, I was lost. I suddenly felt God everywhere, and it was terrifying. Most important, it was unwelcome. It felt like an invasion. I started to fear that I was going crazy. <laughs> Finally, someone else who had an experience like me. But I remember that. I didn't know what to do, so I spoke with a writer who I had met through my boyfriend and who had talked with me quite a bit about God. You need to be in a Bible study, he said. And Kathy Keller's Bible study is the one you need to be in. That's Tim Keller's wife in Manhattan. I didn't like the sound of that, but I was desperate. My whole world was imploding. How was I going to tell my family or friends about what had happened? Nobody would understand. I didn't understand. Now let me just finish. This is what she says. I remember walking into the Bible study. I had a knot in my stomach. In my mind, only weirdos and zealots went to Bible studies. I don't remember what was said that day. All I know is that when I left, everything had changed. I'll never forget standing outside the apartment on the Upper East Side, and saying to myself, it's true. It's completely true. The world looked entirely different, like a veil had been lifted off. I had not an iota of doubt. I was filled with indescribable joy. Now listen. Jesus came to these men, and he delivered them from the evil one in a very powerful way. Luke's gospel said the, the one man, the, the primary man he delivered, um, the spokesman of the two, he wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus sent him to go tell the good news to his family. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus shares, displays his power over authority and his authority over natural and the supernatural. And when the, de- and when, the, when the townspeople hear about the details of what Jesus did for these poor men dominated by the devil, they saw a genuine demonstration of the Holy One. In fear, they don't joyfully welcome Him. What do they do? It says in, they pleaded with Him. They begged Him to leave. Unfortunately, unlike the testimony we heard, they rejected Christ and His offer. Notice in the text how Jesus exercised His power over nature. He spoke. Be still. Notice how He exercised His power over demons. He spoke. Go. And they went. Today, we are blessed to encounter the Holy One of Israel the Lord Jesus Christ through what you just heard from His Word. He speaks and listening to His voice. New life the dead receive. So we have to make a choice like the townspeople, like the demoniacs. Are we going to welcome Jesus? It's the real question in this text. Are we going to accept Him for who He is? The Lord of nature and over the supernatural, and as we'll see next week when he deals with human souls, as he, for, he has the audacity to forgive sins.
We'll see that coming next week. So this text brings us to a critical period in our lives. Even if we already know Him, the question is, are we going to re-up? Are we going to follow Him? Are we going to believe in the truth and let the truth set us free? Or are we going to believe a lie? The devil's lie. Which leads not to joy and happiness and peace and righteousness, but to destruction. Are we true believers? Do we believe in Him? I'll leave you with that. Let's pray. Father, You have presented Jesus Christ to us. The real Jesus. The one who stills the physical waves. And who nature has to obey. The one who rebukes demons and they have to leave. And set a man, men free. The one who comes and disrupts our normal way of living. And who demands absolute faith and devotion. God, we pray that you would create faith where there is none. That you would strengthen the faith that is there in this room. Father, that we would not have some emotional experience where we're all excited and the next day we forgot what happened, but that even this day our faith would be renewed in You, in the one true Savior of the world, Jesus the Christ. We pray, Lord, that the people around us would notice Your presence with us and that as we go and minister Your good news, both in word and in deed and just by loving others, Lord, We pray that you would draw many men, women, and children to yourself, even through our brokenness, our weakness, because you are among us in a powerful way. Oh, Jesus, sanctify us by this truth, because your word is truth. We pray it in your name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.